This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, we talk about pigeons getting stuck in the defensive zone. The Colorado Mammoth are the hottest team in the NLL, having won five straight. We could have our three Western playoff teams as early as this weekend. And the NLL trade deadline has come and gone. And well, all that more on OTCB. What is good, lacrosse fans, and welcome to another edition of the Off the Crossbar podcast here on SoundCloud, iTunes, and NLL Radio. I am your esteemed host, Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter, at Off the Crossbar. You can also email me, teddy.jenner at gmail.com. It was nice to hear from some Berards fans last week after the news that Curtis Dixon is coming back out west. The Berards made a little bit of a splash as well this week as they announced that Johns Hopkins star Kyle Marr will be suiting up for the Berards this summer. So things in the West are heating up for the WLA season. They're also heating up in the National Lacrosse League. As mentioned, we could have our three playoff-bound teams as early as this weekend. A Calgary win with a Vancouver loss will seal the stealth's fate. And we could have the Roughnecks, the Mammoth, and the Rush all advancing to the second round. We will talk more about that later. Also joining us on the show, the reigning NLL MVP, LT4, will stop by. Lyle Thompson of the Georgia Swarm. Um, I had reached out to him earlier in the day, and uh, we connected. Funny enough, I was talking with Mike Poulin, and at the time, I didn't know if I had Lyle's number correctly, and Pooley told me that his number was 444-444-4444. And then he added, I'm not sure how he got those numbers, but he got it. Those goalies are always joking with me. They're always playing little tricks on us media guys to keep us sharp. So looking forward to chatting with Lyle. We'll talk, amongst other things, um, the up and down season that the Swarm have had. Um, Maybe we'll talk about some Iroquois in the Olympics, as well as who is the best sleeper of all the Thompson brothers. That all stems from a post that Lyle put on Instagram saying that his brothers will be asleep almost instantaneously once they close their eyes on the plane. So we'll figure out who is the best sleeper out of Miles and Jerome. But it was a weekend in the National Lacrosse League where we saw some great lacrosse games. Simple as that. And some more really close games. And no more separation in the East because every week it gets tighter and tighter. And teams just continue to flip-flop positions. A single game separates first through fifth. New England at the top six and five. And then Georgia, Buffalo, and Rochester all sit at six and seven. Sandwiched in the middle of all that are the Toronto Rock at six and six who came away with a big redemption win over the New England Black Wolves in New England in a game that was 14-9. The week before, New England snuck away with an overtime game winner from Kevin Crowley. Uh, This week, Toronto wasn't going to let that happen again. Nick Rose was once again fantastic. 
and The Rock break their losing streak without Tom Schreiber and made a little move at the deadline to help bolster their offense as well when they brought in Dan Taylor yesterday. Talk about that in a little bit as well. So The Rock break their losing streak. They get back on the winning side. They're now a half game out of first uh, with New England. And New England does have a game in hand on The Rock. But The Rock has a game in hand on everybody else that's trying to catch them. And when you watch that game, you could see that it's two teams battling out tooth and nail. And I think that's the way that the East is going to go the rest of the year. Because every game is so important. Every switch of momentum is crucial. And while we may see some lopsided games down the stretch, for the most part, I think what you're seeing right now is the trend that we're going to see for the rest of the year. Most games are going to be within a handful of goals. And it's setting us up for a wonderful playoff season. Toronto was down a goal after the first quarter. Then they had a strong second quarter. And they never looked back after that as they put New England in their rearview mirror. All thanks to a big fourth quarter where they scored the final four goals of the game. Reed Reinholdt, Adam Jones on a penalty shot, Rob Hellier, and then Kieran McCardle into an empty net. It really sealed the deal, but it was that 4-1 fourth that pushed the Rock to their first win in a handful of games. Both teams over on the power play. But I thought both goaltenders played quite well. Nick Rose, 38 saves. Aaron Bold, 44 saves. And the Rock come away with a much-needed victory, as I said, that puts them in second place in the East, a half game back of those very same New England Black Wolves. The other Friday game was over in Buffalo, and it was the debut of Sean Evans, and, well, the debut in Banditland for Sean Evans. He had played his first game in Colorado against the Mammoth, where he was held off the score sheet in the goal column, got an assist late in that contest. But he wasn't going to let things repeat themselves. And while the rush scored the first goal 45 seconds in, thanks to Marty Dinsdale, Sean Evans wasn't going to waste much time. one nothing Saskatchewan here in the first quarter of play. Sean Evans from the top of the slot getting closer. Scores! Oh, and how appropriate is that, John? Sean Evans. First game in abandoned land, putting the bandits on the board. He might have been the rat, he might have been the evil twin, but he's in bandit land, and the fans give him a little appreciative love. Sean Evans putting the bandits on the scoreboard. Color man Randy Mearns telling it like it is. There weren't a lot of people happy when that Sean Evans trade for Callum Crawford went down. Not only were they starting to get used to Callum Crawford into Bannett's uniform, and fans felt that he was starting to make some headway in the chemistry department with Dane Smith and that offense. But Sean Evans has been enemy number one ever since he was brought into the National Lacrosse League. He was vilified as a member of the Rochester Nighthawks. He was truly public enemy number one when it came to Bandits versus Nighthawks. 
and I was very interested to see how they would react when he was announced. Didn't sound like he got a lot of booze when they announced his name uh, during the player intros, and then, of course, a minute 30 into that game, he ties things up for the Bandits in his first game inside Bandland as a member of the hometown Bandits. And on the night, he finished with three goals and an assist for four points. So not a bad debut inside Bandland. You know he would have loved to come away with a victory, but the train that is the Saskatchewan rush just keeps on barreling down the tracks. They win by 6-16-10, and it was never really close. 5-3 after one, 8-4 at halftime, 13-6, and then the final of 16-10. Just a complete performance once again by Saskatchewan. And if you're coaching a minor team, you really should have them watch what the rush do. Their defense is quite tricky, especially for minor lacrosse. Um, but if you're a junior coach or a junior B or senior, whatever it may be, and you want to implement a good defensive system, check out what Jimmy Quinlan's got queued up in the back end there for the rush. But offensively, every team can run what the rush do. And it's just so systematic and so step-by-step that even if you know it's coming, it's almost impossible to stop. You can see the high screen develop with the swing pass, and you know that Marty Dinsdale is going to roll to the middle for the one-two out of the corner from Robert Church. You know it's coming. It's like when teams are playing Colorado. You know Dylan Ward's going to dump it up over the top for Joey Capito. Just happens. It's going to happen, and sometimes you just can't stop it. And I really think the addition of Jeff Shatler has added a lot to that offense. And that's not taking anything away from Adam Jones or anything like that. But the intangibles that Shatler brings, the ability to find loose balls in the corner and get resets, the patience to slow things down, the ability to find himself open on the backside for the one-timers, the ability to not have to have the stick or the ball in his stick to be productive. And off-ball players are what makes that Saskatchewan offense so deadly. Usually the guy who scores isn't the guy carrying the ball, unless it's maybe like a long outside shot or something like that. It's usually off a pick and roll or off a swing and a ball cut, some sort of set play. And Buffalo, just like many other teams that have gone by the wayside this year when playing the rush, just were unable to find that answer. And when you're giving them a three-goal lead or a four-goal lead going into the half, it's not an easy thing to come back from. They are so good in the first quarter. Checking out uh, the NLL stat pack. They are plus 29 goals for in the first quarter. And then it slowly drops as that game as the games go on. So they're plus 29 goals for to goals against after the first. They're plus 20 in the second quarter, only plus 11 in the third quarter. Then in the fourth quarter, they're actually minus seven. So if you can withstand that first quarter with the Saskatchewan rush, they tend to trend downwards as games go on. Which is weird because oftentimes they always seem to bury teams as games go on. But according to the numbers, they actually get worse 
as the game goes on. Maybe their defense often tightens up. Their offense doesn't get as productive. Maybe defenses are figuring their offenses out. But still, to see that disparity between the first and fourth quarter, plus 29 to minus 7, teams should be wary of that, that the rush have a tendency to slow down as the games go on. But they weren't doing that against the Buffalo Bandits. They outscored them 8-6 in the second half, and they continued to lead the National Lacrosse League West Division by only a game and a half over the Colorado Mammoth. Those two teams are on a collision course for a game at the start of April, which really could decide the NLL West because the Mammoths still have the ability to catch Saskatchewan. A game and a half back, they still have to play each other. Colorado has a game in hand on the rush. And basic, simple math, for Colorado to get first overall in the West, they need to beat the rush when they play them on April 7th. And then they need the rush to lose one more game somewhere down the road. And Colorado, obviously, has to win out. They win out. The rush lose one more game. And Colorado will kind of beat the odds and defy everybody's belief that Saskatchewan was going to be handed the West. And maybe kind of sneak into that number one seed and have home field advantage throughout the Western playoffs, which would be incredible. And most likely the number one seed overall. Because it doesn't look like any Eastern team is going to go on a run and have a better record than either Saskatchewan or Colorado. Speaking of the Mammoth, they were in action this past weekend against the Vancouver Stealth, and Colorado has won five straight games. Another close game for the Mammoth as they beat Vancouver 13-10. to And this is the fifth game in a row of their winning streak. All their games have been close along this winning streak. Most games being decided by just one goal, and you kind of thought that as that game was going to go on, it was going to be a one-goal game. But Colorado was able to find a few extra goals late in that one, including an empty netter from Joey Capito to really seal things. He started things off 23 seconds in, and he finished it off with 39 seconds left. The goal at the start of the game was a bit of a weird one, and I think Vancouver probably had a case to argue that goal that um, it shouldn't have been an eight-second violation because Tim Edwards actually picked up the ball at one point. But in the end... It ended up in Joey Capito's stick, who was all alone in front of Eric Penny. And as Joey Capito tends to do, he was money on the crease. And that was just the kind of the start of the night for the Vancouver Stealth. Uh, they were down 4-1 after one. It was 7-4 after two. Then in the third quarter, they outscored Colorado 3-1 to get two power play goals. And all of a sudden, heading to the fourth quarter, they're just down a goal. And they have all the momentum. And then Joel McCready scored to tie things up, and you're like, okay, now we got ourselves a game. But then the gazelle showed up. Potential turnover, and it is. Here comes Hope on a breakaway. Robert Hope in from center. Scores. That one comes four on four as well, as Panesh has one second to go on his penalty time. So it will not be a power play goal here for the Mammoth as Hope tucks it in with one second to go in the penalty time. 
Jake Elliott with a call from NLL TV as Robert Hope scored his first goal in two years. And that gave the Mammoth a 9-8 lead at the time. And then they would continue to score goals. But a power play from Ryan Banesh, then a Zach Greer goal really cemented things. And Vancouver is on life support again. The Mammoth win five straight. They'll head back home this weekend to play the Vancouver Stealth in a rematch of this past weekend's game. But Jamie Batley, after, spoke with the media, and he talked and, and reflected on his team's performance in a 13-10 loss. I thought we played pretty good. I thought we worked hard. Um, you know, we out-loose balled them. We out-shot them. We out-faced off them. But uh, we also have discipline. You know, we, we can't take undisciplined penalties. They had four power play goals. And, uh, you know, we made some bad decisions, which allowed them to get three transition goals. So, you know, there's seven goals that uh, you know, we, we can't allow to happen. So, I mean, I know we can't stop all seven of those. But at the end of the day, we know they're a great power play. And we know they transition well. So those are the fo- our focuses. So as a team, we gotta, we, we've got to do better there. So the Vancouver Stealth are now 1-12. And they head into the Nash Lacrosse League trade deadline. And everybody, everybody truly believes that Doug Locker will make some sort of move at the deadline. Whether to help his team currently or for the future. Draft picks players for next year, whatever it may be. I had players from across the league messaging me, asking me if players were going to get traded, not just from their team, but from the Vancouver Stealth. What was going on? What is happening? And when Monday's deadline came and passed, Corey Small was still a member of the Vancouver Stealth. And Vancouver made zero moves. And unfortunately, by making no moves, that sends a not-so-very-positive statement to your locker room. And that was what a couple members of the Stealth mentioned to me, is that it's sometimes impossible to understand how no moves have been made and it leaves players shaking their heads and in the end Vancouver is no better no worse than where they were going into the deadline but I truly believe that they missed out an opportunity to make themselves better give themselves hope for the future give the fans a glimpse that you're trying to do something to help the future of this club. Show the players in that locker room that you're trying to make some moves to help that group get better. And in the end, nothing happened. The only deal that we saw was the Toronto Rock picking up left-hander Dan Taylor for a conditional third. Dan Taylor is out there as a left-hander, and it's only costing teams a conditional third to get him. And he ends up in Toronto. I think it's a great pickup for Toronto. I talked to Jamie Dowick um, on Monday about him. And he said he's been a big fan of Taylor's for a while. Been trying to find a way to get him for a little while. And with Dan Taylor basically sitting on the practice roster for the rush, was there for the picking. And if you can pay a conditional third, 
probably gets bumped up to maybe like a second. If Taylor's still with the club next year or if he plays an X amount of games, I'm not sure what the condition put on the trade was. was. But Dan Taylor's a fantastic ball player. Good young lefty, big, mobile, plays his summer ball out in BC for the Maple Ridge Berards. So I like the move by Jamie Dowick. Uh, when I talk to him, he hopes to have Tom Schreiber back within the next couple of weeks. So that's a big bonus. That's obviously why they, they weren't trying to go get a righty. Namely, Dan Dawson. And people were wondering, was I surprised that Dan Dawson wasn't moved? Yes and no. It could mean that Curtis Knight's injury is maybe more serious than once perceived. Or maybe Dan's going to be happy not playing every weekend. Maybe they rotate him through, keep guys fresh. But to see just one trade go down, yes, we saw a near handful of deals made in the weeks leading up to deadline day. That may have taken some of the sting out of Monday's action or lack thereof. But I truly believe that teams were just sitting, idling, and hoping that the phone would ring and a deal would fall into their lap. But in the GM circles that I talked to, most guys' phones were quiet. They hadn't heard from anybody, really. There weren't a lot of deals being offered. There weren't a lot of players available. So that kind of led to a quiet trade deadline day. And I also think that having expansion around the corner might have slowed some general managers down as well, knowing how important picks are going to be, knowing that they're going to be losing some players come expansion anyway, so maybe they didn't want to spread themselves too thin or stockpile or or what. It was just quite surprising when you have a situation like a 1-12 in team needs all sorts of help um, of the greatest variety to get into the playoffs, and yet they do nothing. No other teams really did anything. Only two teams did something. And so we could say, well, you know, look at look at Rochester in the East. Why aren't they doing anything? They're sick. Well, they're one game out of the playoffs. And they're a team that a lot of people think might be the strongest team in the NLL East. I'm, I'm, we're not picking sides here. What? It's just the common thought throughout the National Lacrosse League was that Corey Small was going to be shopped and shipped and traded. And everybody thought that a 1-12 Vancouver team was going to do something, anything. And yet they didn't. And so they still sit four and a half games back with a long shot to get into the playoffs. As mentioned, if Calgary wins this weekend um, against Toronto and Vancouver loses to Colorado, both those games on Saturday night, then you won't even have to worry about what Vancouver is going to do anymore because they will be officially eliminated. And we will have our three Western teams in the playoffs. The Saskatchewan, Colorado, and Calgary. All that's left is to figure out where they'll all settle in.
There were two other games over the course of the weekend. A one-goal game between Calgary and Rochester that went right down to the wire. A 6-2 fourth quarter really helped Rochester get back in that game, but unable to get the final nail in that coffin. And that was a game that kind of had its momentums, flipping, flopping back and forth. But maybe we're starting to see a Calgary team that's on the rise. And this is, it's so crazy when you watch Calgary. And I get a lot of people ask me, what's up with Calgary? Why are they off to slow starts? And all of a sudden, they're really good. That answer, I don't really know. But it's incredible to see how many times the Roughnecks have started slow, stumbled a little bit, and then... They make one or two changes or tinkers with the roster, and then all of a sudden, boom. They're able to fix it. And this year, it's been the play of Christian Del Bianco and finally giving him the number one spot. And ever since he's come in, he has been absolutely fantastic. He made 42 saves. Matt Vince, usually strong and steady, was pulled in favor of Angus Goodleaf, who ends up making 22 saves on 27 shots for the loss. But one of the best parts for Calgary is their offense and their depth on offense and the contributions that they're getting from around the horn. And this week in their game, you know, they got six from Westberg. And when you can get Berg chucking in six, you're going to have a pretty good night. He scored his sixth goal was the game winner, but the fifth one was on the power play. Put it down low, now back up high to Berg. Berg takes the shot, bounce shot, scores! Fifth of the night for Wes Berg. Not sure if it hit something or if that was intentional as that took an odd pass to the net. Well, that's a big goal for the Roughnecks as they're up by four once again. That was Wes Berg's fifth of the night. He'd end up with six, including the game winner, and the Calgary Roughnecks would knock off the Rochester Nighthawks in a big win for them. And unfortunately for Rochester, just saw them. It's funny, you can't even say they lost ground because there was so much flip-flopping going on in the NLL East. Like I said, they're, they're technically in a playoff spot, but not in a playoff spot because they're tied for third. But a half game out of second, a full game out of first, it is a crapshoot in that Eastern division. One other game on the NLL scoreboard, and it went down on Sunday as the Buffalo Bandits would try to bounce back from their loss on Friday night. They got a day off on Saturday to travel. They get down to Georgia to play the Swarm in what's often a very heated contest, but it was a second quarter where Georgia outscored Buffalo 6-3 to that really was the difference in that game. A 14-10 final in favor of Georgia. The Swarm going four for five on the power play, and that never makes Troy Cordingly happy, who uh, is always vocal after the games and wasn't pleased with his team um, taking undisciplined penalties. But probably the most insane moments in that game was near the end of the game. With 10-17 remaining in the contest, Sean Evans was given a two-minute minor for illegal equipment. Now... It technically wasn't illegal equipment, and as it was relayed by the official, it was illegal sponsored apparel, which had everybody shaking their heads. And it's not something that's called quite often, 
in the National Lacrosse League. I remember when Brandon Miller was playing for Vancouver, or playing for Toronto in Vancouver, he wasn't wearing Under Armour shoes during one point in the game, and it was pointed out to him. So he had to leave the floor, change his shoes, and then come back on the floor. Well, somebody from Georgia noticed that Sean Evans was wearing Nike leggings. And so they pointed it out to the referee. The referee looked, saw the swoosh, blew the whistle, gave Evie a two-minute minor, and Evans could have gone to the locker room, taken the pants off, and then just come back to the game. But instead, heads over to the Bandits bench, gets equipment guru extraordinary, extraordinaire Teddy Cordingly to pull out his scissors, and he just cuts off the swoosh. And then heads to the penalty box. And it led to a very, I wouldn't say heated, but a very back-and-forth conversation on sponsored apparel. And why would Sean Evans even put Nike ones on when there's Under Armour leggings available? And why aren't players just all using sponsored equipment? But then the other side was, well, why should they have to wear sponsored equipment when guys are wearing completely different undershirts and things that may not be able to be seen? Well, that's the difference. The, the, the visibility of the logo is the key factor. Yes, is it a ticky-tack call? Absolutely. Should it maybe be a fine, as some fans suggested, so that it doesn't take away from the game? Maybe. I would be okay with that. But to have a player given an illegal equipment call for something that doesn't affect the play, just a little odd to me. And to have, you know, to see Sean Evans come back with one full legging down, the other legging cut up the side and looking all tattered, just made it look that much worse. Should he have been wearing Under Armour apparel? Absolutely. But as we've said, and as other people have chimed in during that thread, there are players that don't wear sponsored undershirts or underwear. Or Heck, I know of some player who doesn't wear underwear in the National Cross League. Not only not underwear, doesn't wear a jock. Literally straight commando all game long. That blows my mind. However, Back to Evans and the leggings. It is a call that doesn't get made that often. And I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure it has to be brought to the attention, to the officials' attention by the opposing team. But it's a bit of a, as some called it, Bush League move. I used air quotes if you didn't see me. It's just... I can understand why the, like, I know why the league has league sponsors. I get it. B- but if players aren't provided with something and then they have to go out and get it themselves, then maybe it's not something that they should get a penalty for. Again, Evie probably could have grabbed the Under Armour ones off the rack instead of the Nike ones. But it was a bit of a weird call. And it didn't really have any bearing on that lacrosse game. I'm sure having Sean Evans 
on the floor for a two-minute power play instead of him being off for two minutes of four-on-four could have helped the Buffalo Bandits. But the Georgia Swarm were just playing at a higher level that game, and at times, um, as mentioned by some of the Buffalo beat writers and followers on Twitter, that they just looked like a team that was tired, uh, a team that looked much like the team that played Friday night and lost to Saskatchewan, and now they have lost two straight games and are on the downside of things. Check that. They've now lost four straight games. And at once, one point, they were 6-3. and three. Top team in the NLL East. And just like that, they're tied for third. And a half game out of a playoff spot. But note to everybody in the National Lacrosse League, if you're going to wear something and people can see it, make sure it is sponsored by the right people, that is. I wonder if Lyle Thompson could wear Nike leggings because he is a Nike-sponsored athlete. Maybe we'll ask him because he had a firsthand view of everything that was going on during that game against the Buffalo Bandits and the reigning National Lacrosse League MVP maybe not be having as good of a season as he did last year. 27 goals, 31 assists, good for 58 points. Just his third year in the National Lacrosse League, of course. But his Georgia Swarm continue to be a pain in the side and everybody in the National Lacrosse League East. They've climbed themselves back into third, albeit a tie for third. They are slotted into that third playoff spot. And Lyle continues to be the straw that stirs the drink. And on Sunday, he had a handful of goals. I mean, that's like a win for the Swarm. You'll almost trade Brian Cole for Sean Evans. Absolutely. In, in a chess game, as Lyle Thompson scores! Number five for Thompson may just seal the deal. He has been absolutely deadly from that top center spot. Lyle Thompson, one of the most accurate shooters in the National Lacrosse League. You give him time and room with space to get his hands free, and you are asking for trouble. Lyle joins us now on the show. And when I caught up with him, we first started talking about how the team has come together, that the new bodies are healthy and back in the lineup. You know, I've, I've kind of been saying it all year, and, and um, you know, with, with everyone back, with Joel White back and, and Gordon Hall and Chad Cotton, um, you know, I feel like our defense, it, it's kind of weird, but our defense is, is what's uh, holding us together this year. Uh, whereas yeah. last year was really our offense putting, putting in big numbers. Um, but, you know, you look at this year, and, and it's really our defense you know, holding us together. And yeah. even even last week with Andy, um, you know, I still feel like we could play so much better as an offense. What do you think has slowed your offense down compared to last year? Um, I mean, we, we as a team, we do conference calls, and, and obviously we have film and, and homework every week. Yeah. And um, it's something new every week, but – one thing we talked about this week was was kind of buying into our system, and, and the great thing about having a successful year is you got you got something to look back on. Mm-hmm. Um, and this year we, you know, I guess you could assume we 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 assumed we were going to walk in and it was going to be, uh, you know, walking apart. Everything was going to be easy again, but it actually just got harder. 
where yeah. called teams defended and adjusted, and they did their part, and, and we continued to – I don't think we continued to do what we did last year. I think we, we forgot what we did last year. And, and um, I think with this week against Buffalo, um, we didn't – we went back to the basics. We went back to um, our basic principles. And the opportunities were bet there a lot more. Um, as far as the rest of the season, we, you know, we weren't getting the best opportunities. At times, we played really good offense. But this week, I feel like we played simple offense, and we had a lot of opportunities. And um, in my eyes, we should have had a lot more than 13 goals. Uh, 13 goals uh, obviously was enough for you guys. But how many crossbars do you think you've hit this year? I don't know. That seems that seems to be the thing, on, especially on the right side. Um, you know, at halftime, I feel like it's been a thing. We come in and it's either me, Miles, Randy, or Moose. We all we all hit at least four crossbars. And we we're sitting there talking about it at halftime, and you look at that and think like, you know, we're getting our opportunities, but we're yeah. just not burying. But in my eyes, that can't be the answer. You gotta you gotta change things up from and do something different so that you are burying. You mentioned um, the return of Tutton and Hall and, and Joe White. How much has the return of Jesse King helped you guys' offense? Um, I think it's I think it's huge. I think it's a uh, he's he's an everything guy. He can shoot from the outside, um, and he's probably you know as far as a deep ball, someone who can shoot from from not just you know outside the dotted line. He can he can throw up from from pretty far back. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, you know, he's really good inside. He can catch. He catches anything. But at the same time, he's he's opening other 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 guys because he's such a big body and he knows how to use it. Um, so I think offensively, he brings you know a big part to that left side. And um, you know that's the thing with our left side. All three of those guys, Paul, even when Heine's in there. Um, Paul, Heine, Jacko, and, and Jesse King, they're all guys who like to bump bodies. Um, mm-hmm. And you need that guy who wants to grab the ball and, and do something with it. And they're all capable of that. So, um, you know, I think right now we're, we're starting to figure out that, you know, we're starting to – chemistry. Chemistry is a huge thing. It was a huge thing last year. And, and as an offense, we're really starting to feel it now. Mm-hmm. And I think um, – you know, we're going to go we're, – we're looking to win out the rest of the season. That's our, that's our plan. We're viewing it as every game's a playoff game from here on out. You have five games left. Three of them are at home at Infinite Energy Center. How big is that? Do you guys have, you know, the comfort of home in your final five? Yeah, I mean, uh, it's – you know, it's it's a place we're, we're definitely comfortable with. I'm I'm not even sure on what our record is. At home this year, <laughs> yeah. But, um, you know, it's, I think it's an advantage, especially, you know, we we feel it when we have to go other places like New England, Buffalo, you know, yeah. Fast. Those are those are arenas that are, um, you know, you can feel the energy and and um, those other teams thrive off of off of that energy, and it's the same thing for us. So, um, you know, it's it's big for us, but at the same time, you you gotta you got to do your homework and and be prepared every game, no matter what, no matter you guys are, regardless of where you. 
Yeah, you guys are three and three at home, three and four on the road. Uh, you mentioned that chemistry. Uh, you guys have taken a few team trips uh, to get away, uh, uh, get away uh, and, and do things as a group. How important is that for you guys in that chemistry and that team bonding going forward? I think it's, I think it's, uh, it's important. It's something you learn kind of in college, you know, being on a team, being surrounded by a group yeah. of guys. Uh, that's one thing you really learn in college, but then going to a pros, you know, we're, we're not together all week. Uh, we don't see each other until Friday, Thursday night. And, um, it's just, you know, we're just together for a weekend. So that chemistry is a huge part. And, um, especially for us, for a team like Georgia, who's, who's not practicing on Tuesdays or Wednesdays, like, like the Toronto's or the Buffalo's or the Rochester's. So, um, you know, we try to capitalize on that opportunity, and we understand how important that chemistry is on and off the on and off the floor. But at the same time, I think we just have a group of guys who who love to be together. You know, our group chats are always firing, and yeah. and um, so I think we just have a guy a group of guys that uh, love to be around each other, and and it's you know it's cliche, but you know we're a family. Uh, yeah. You know, we're part of the the Georgia Swarm family, so. Um, it's always fun, you know, the weekends being being with the boys. Of course, uh, the Tom. Everyone knows your brothers are with you um, on the team. Uh, you posted a picture on social media the other day of, uh, of you and your two brothers on the plane. You said they're going to be asleep right away. Who falls asleep faster, Hyanna or Miles? <laughs> <laughs> so it's, it's definitely Miles. Yeah. The reason we put him in middle seat is because he can fall, like, middle seat supposed to be the hardest spot to fall yeah. asleep in. But he falls asleep instantly. It's crazy. <laughs> but, uh, I know we'll scroll for a little while on his phone, Instagram, yeah. whatever it is, until, until right before we take off. But honestly, <laughs> they're out before we were in the air, and I'm just sitting there looking at them. Is, are, you, are you not a good sleeper on planes? I don't. I usually don't sleep at all. So on that flight, yeah. when I took that picture, they were both <laughs> out by the time we took the flight. Yeah. And I stayed up the whole time. Oh, yeah. Both I hate. And... <laughs> I wanted to wake one of them up for their portable charger. <laughs> <laughs> but I couldn't um, do that to them. Yeah, right. <laughs> um, I was talking with Mike Poole and, uh, when you guys. Uh, we're in Colorado a few weeks ago, and he had mentioned that uh, you were thinking about doing some podcasting and, and getting into that kind of, of work. Is that something you're still interested in doing? Is that something that you would like to get on, on board? Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm working to put some things together, um, everything that needs to be done. I've already purchased, you know, a good handful of things that yeah I'm going to need. Uh, basically, everything I need. Uh, it's kind of at a standstill right now just because of uh, – some things we're going through with Thompson Brothers Lacrosse. Yeah. Um, just, you know, handling whatever's priority first. Of course. Of course. How is Thompson Brothers going? Obviously, uh, you and your family are, are well behind it. It's become a, a very recognized brand in the lacrosse world. Yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's going good. We're, you know, we've been a little bit on the on a halt with, with um, ma- some management changes. And, yeah. Um, you know, looking to come back and, and rebuild and not rebuild, but kind of keep keep building. Um, of course. But yeah, everything's going good, and we're looking to make some changes as far as uh, what we'd like to do as a company and and still be, you know, an elite lacrosse brand. 
how closely do you guys keep tabs on Albany? Obviously, you guys are, uh, are cornerstones of that organization and that school's program, but uh, Coach Marr and you guys still very close? Yeah, I mean, uh, Coach Marr texts me every week. Uh, <laughs> no, it's not, it's not every other weekend, every other week, but we stay in touch with him for sure. He's, yeah. You know, he's, he's a family friend, and he's one of my best friends now. I can honestly say that. Yeah. But um, you know, we're we're keeping tabs on on the Danes. We think, you know, I I think it's it's their year. They got all the right pieces, you know, yeah. to win a championship this year. And um, you know, I just I just hope we can we can pull it off this year. And and you know, especially with that Maryland win, um, yeah, shaky at first, but you know, we got everything everything we need as far as a goalie, def- a strong defense, which is something. You know, when I was there, um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure if it was the defense, but our, our possessions weren't, you know, we didn't have as much, you know, teams would hold the ball on us. And, and yeah. we have the type of style we played was run and gun. So we'd barely have the ball. We'd be back down the other end. So do you think and Connor will break, uh, break all your yeah. records? Yeah, I think, uh, I don't see why, you know, I don't, I don't see why he's he put in. Yes, he's consistent. He's confident, and um, with that offense, the offense we run, you know, the possessions we're getting as a as a team now, you know, his opportunity should be there. Yeah. And that's why I tweeted that a few weeks back. It's kind of just looking at the opportunities. He's got two years to play with. Yeah. PD, um, faceoff guy, and then the year prior, they were pretty consistent on faceoffs. Um, and then, you know, Dehoga, within the next four years, he's he's with TD for three years. So yeah, um, that's crazy. You know, that's that's a really good faceoff guy who's going to get the offense the ball. Yeah, an offense that isn't isn't looking to slow anything down. You know what I mean? No. <laughs> um, if, if you're on that attack unit, you know the numbers should be sky high. Um, and the thing about it is, the thing I love about field use is that he's he's just a competitor, you know. Yeah. He's he's not out there looking to get looking to get these points. He's out there to perform, and that's the way I, you know, I felt when I was there. It was like, you know, we might play a team who's not as strong as us. Yeah. And um, you know, assume we're gonna we're gonna blow them out, but you know, I gotta. And Fieldy's in the same position, you know. He's he's got. You know, a huge fan base that's coming to watch him play. You know, he's got to perform. He's not going to sit down and sit back. Yeah, no, no. The opponent. Um, his job is to play lacrosse, and and that's what I really respect about him is that he's a competitor. Practice, game, whatever it is, he's yeah. he's out there competing and trying hard to to do his job. The 2018 World Field Across Championships are coming up in Israel later this year. Um, what's the status of, of the Iroquois Nationals? Are you guys going to be able to go to that? Is that a, a tournament you guys are looking forward to? Yeah, I mean, I'll, I'm looking forward to it. And, yeah. And um, obviously being a huge part. You know, I'm young, but, uh, but you know, on this team is super young. And I feel like one of the old guys on the team. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's pretty crazy. It's pretty crazy to look at our roster. Um, <laughs> yeah. Well, we haven't we haven't made our our complete roster yet, but it's full of guys that are, 
my age or younger. And yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, I'm put in a situation where you know I ha- I kind of have to step up and be more of a leader. Yeah. But um, as far as the passport issue, honestly, I couldn't I couldn't tell you right now. I don't yeah. know um, what the situation is. I think it's looking a lot better than. I guess if you want to look at the England situation, it's looking yeah. a lot better than that. Yeah. Um, okay. And you know, I haven't I haven't been in contact with the people up front yeah. of the Iroquois Nationals taking care of this issue. Yeah. But um, I'm hoping we can go. I think I think this is another year where the Iroquois are building every every year. Um, Absolutely. Boston Field. And I look at this team, and I think you know this is the best team we've ever had. So. Um, you look at when we were in Denver, you know, we come close to beating Canada. Mm-hmm. We 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 didn't put up our best performance against the against the US and, and I think it's a matter of um putting the coaches' brains together and the players um you know, athleticism and skill together and, and you know, bringing it all in at once. And I think we're we're completely capable of beating Team USA in, in Canada. Um, Absolutely, we do that, and I think we have the right coaching staff to do it this year, and the right players. Uh, one last one before we let you go, Lyle. Appreciate it as always giving us time, but obviously the talk of the yeah. future of lacrosse is, is getting it into the Olympics, and um, the discussion then becomes well, what happens with the Iroquois as you guys are a sovereign nation, you're not recognized by the IOC. What do you think would be the best plan of attack if lacrosse were to get in the Olympics to allow you guys to play? Um, I mean, I, I don't, I don't think, uh, you know, I haven't educated myself on, on that whole situation and how the Olympics is ran, Yeah, true. but when it comes to, come to, you know, lacrosse, obviously I'd love to be a part of the Olympics yeah. and, um, you know, you, you figure, I don't know when. When do you think though that lacrosse gets into Olympics? What's their estimate? Uh, it's like twenty twenty two, twenty twenty four, somewhere around there. When I think when it gets to LA. Yeah, that's, there's some that's time. Not, you know, that's not, that's not a long time away. Um, no. And I hope to be, you know, still playing at the top of my game. I, I should yeah. be. Um, but as far as that situation. You know, I the way I view it is it's, it's the same. We're in the same situation as um, playing at the world stage right now. Yeah. If not, you know, I'm an understandable guy. Um, I can understand that if if we're being viewed as a sovereign nation and and that organization doesn't recognize it, mm-hmm. you know, I can understand that, but. Um, you know, it's not something I'm fully educated on yet. Fair enough, my friend. Yeah. Just thought it Uh Big game for you guys against New England Black Wolves, a chance uh, to leap up the standings and get in the first place. How excited are you for another shot uh, to get back on the turf this weekend with the boys? Always excited. Always excited yeah, to, to uh, get, get together with the boys, have a good solid practice. Um, but, you know, it's a lot of the work we, we put in during the week, I think. Ed, our coach, put you know, he puts us to work as far as you know, I don't I don't know what other teams do as far as yeah. homework. And um you know, watching film, putting together a 
shooting plan against goalies or whatever it may be. Um, that's one thing our coaches do. And, and um, one thing I, I love about, you know, the swamp, um, but, you know, coming up against new England, it's a team that we always battle, battle up against since mm-hmm. I've been in the league. It's always been good games. And, um, you know, I'm always excited to play them. They're, they're a team that, that plays fast. And, um, I think we're we're ready to get another W and but you know let our let let ourselves dictate the the future of of what's going to happen in postseason. So um, if we can put this, put together a good, I mean, like I said, we're looking to to win out here, and and I'm confident that we can do that as long as we buy into our systems offensively. I think we're playing really good defense, cool playing a lot better than he did um, at the begin than he did at mm-hmm. the beginning of the year. So like I said, things are coming together and um, I'm looking forward to these last five games here. There he is, that's Lyle Thompson, the reigning national lacrosse league MVP from the Georgia Swarm. Uh, interesting takes on a few things. Um, the fact that their team is playing the way that they were playing last year, getting that confidence back inside that locker room is huge. Uh, the return of Tutton, Hall, White, and King have been big boosts for that offense. The depth out the front door, but most importantly, as Lyle said, their defense is starting to hold the fort, and now it's time for that offense to finally kick it into third, fourth, even fifth gear and get the wheels running. Um, also interesting just to to hear him talk about Coach Marr in Albany and, and how much he meant to him in his development as a person and as a player. Now they are our best friends, and that relationship, any player-coach relationship that can go beyond the realm of its borders, being four years of a college player, when you can keep those relationships after the fact, it's so rewarding to be able to keep that friendship and that bond. And it's always great to hear Lyle or Miles talk about the relationship with Coach Marr and their experiences at Albany. Um, and it's great to see Albany doing so well this year. And I think a lot of people really think that the Danes are going to go all the way and, and are going to get their first national championship. But also, let's keep an eye on what happens in Netanyahu for the World Field Championships. Uh, everybody expects the Iroquois to be there. Um, we all hope we don't have another fiasco like we did in 2010. But then with the Olympics coming up and the, the hope of lacrosse being in the Olympics, what happens with the Iroquois Nationals? Now, if an entire country can be banned for steroid use and some of their players be let in to compete under a different name, why can't we allow the Iroquois to come in and compete in the Olympics? Maybe they will. That's a hope. So let's keep that hope alive so that when... The conversation of lacrosse and the Olympics does truly come to fruition. That one of the first conversations they have is, great, thanks for having us, but our big brother needs to be here. It will be very interesting to see how all of that plays out. Uh, Thanks to Lyle, as always, for giving us some time. Uh, I really can't wait uh, for him to get his podcast going if he ends up doing it. As he said, he's got all the equipment, just needs to kind of put all things in place. I have a feeling that uh, he's going to do big things. Anything that Lyle Thompson touches 
turns to gold. Oh, I forgot to ask him about being a Nike-sponsored athlete and if he could wear leggings. Maybe we'll talk to him next time I see him about that. Anyway, uh, that'll do it for another edition of the show. Uh, There are five games on the schedule this weekend. It starts Friday, Buffalo at New England in a huge Eastern Division matchup. Then New England's got to get on the road, travel down to Georgia to take on the Swarm on Saturday. And then the other three games Saturday, Toronto at Calgary, a Canadian Classic. Vancouver at Colorado, which could be the dying dagger for the Vancouver South. And then also Saturday, Rochester at Saskatchewan. And those are your games this weekend. We are officially into week 16. We are nearing the end of the season. We still got lots of way to go. New England still has seven games to play. If they win out, they'll be 13-5. and five. That's a pretty decent record. But Toronto, Georgia, Buffalo, Rochester, all trying to track them down. One game separates first through last. In the West, it's a little bit different. We could have our three playoff teams as early as Saturday. NLLTV.com has all of your action this weekend. Go check out a game. I'll be in Colorado for John Grant Jr. night. The Mammoth raising number 24 to the Raptors inside the Pepsi Center. It will be a memorable night for all inside that arena. And what an honor for John Grant Jr. We're going to get him on the show next week just to talk about life, lacrosse, and a whole bunch of other stuff that we can get into. My name's been Teddy Jenner. You can find me on Twitter at Off the Crossbar or email me teddy.jenner at gmail.com. Does it for another episode here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Thanks to SoundCloud, iTunes, NL Radio, and of course our good man Lyle Thompson for giving us some time. Enjoy the games this weekend. Five on the schedule. Take a friend to a game. If you take a friend, take two. Until then, be excellent to each other. Oh, man.